This message was preached on March 11th, 2021 at Faith Reformed Baptist Church in Titusville, Florida. Good morning, everyone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we start. Father, we <clears throat> thank you for bringing us here and we glorify your holy name and ask you that you... Now, uh, give us understanding uh, of your word as we continue studying in the uh, using the confession of faith as our guide. And we pray, Lord, that your name be glorified in everything that we do today. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so this week we are going to continue. <coughs> Excuse me. The... Uh, Confession of Faith, we are on chapter 15, chapter 15, this is uh, the doctrine of repentance. Repentance unto salvation and life, and uh, <clears throat> uh, remember that last time we did not start with uh, paragraph 1, because there was, or there is no, no, uh, definition of repentance there. This is a chapter that is very different from the Westminster Confession. If you remember the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith is taken uh, in uh, the majority from the Westminster Confession, but in this particular chapter uh, they departed a little bit from that and uh, explain why or think is the reason, but let's uh, go ahead and read paragraphs 1 and 2, the Confession of Faith, chapter 15. Such of the elect as are converted at riper years, having sometime lived in the state of nature, and therein served diverse lusts and pleasures, God in their effectual calling gives them repentance unto life. In paragraph 2, Whereas there is known that doth good and sinneth not, and the best of men may, through the power and deceitfulness of their corruption dwelling in them, with the prevalency of temptation, fall into great sins and provocations. God hath in the covenant of grace mercifully provided that believers so sinning and falling be renewed through repentance unto salvation. That's what they <clears throat> say. That's how they introduce the uh, doctrine of repentance in the confession of faith. And, and we feel that they started this chapter in a kind of abrupt way, without any introduction, without any, a, a proper definition. And what they say here, at least in the first paragraph, raises questions because they say they are talking about those who come to the faith at riper years, meaning when they are older, they come to faith when they are, uh, you know, later in life. <clears throat> And it seems, it only seems in the surface as if they were saying that God only grants repentance to those who come to, to faith at later in life after they have lived for some time in sin. And in this chapter, what I believe that happened is the uh, London Confession has adopted the uh, quite ex 
extensive uh, revision of the Westminster Confession made by John Owen and uh, other other uh, believers with him. And this is what we know as the Savoy Declaration. The Savoy Declaration. And they were uh, a group of believers that even though they were similar to the Baptists in uh, in ecclesiology, in the doctrine of the church, they were still pedo-baptists. They believed in infant baptism, and we know them as the Congregationalists. Congregationalist. So the Congregationalists made this modification, or these modifications to the Westminster Confession that we know as the Savoy Declaration, and our confession takes from both the Westminster Confession and the Savoy Declaration. So... The social context in uh, 17th century uh, United Kingdom in England uh, was such of uh, there was a, we may call it a Christianized society, where the whole of the population as a total was considered to be Christian. It was a Christianized uh, society where it was, uh, they saw people as Christians because they were under the Church of England, and the Church of England was comprised by uh, the majority of people in the United Kingdom, and they were baptized not long after birth. And the uh, uh, the ecclesiology of the of the Congregationalists, their doctrine of the Church was different, different than that. They said, as the Baptists, of course. They rejected that idea of a Christianized society and people uh, being part of the church when they are born and all that. They believed, as we do, that becoming becoming a Christian is more of a personal decision. It is a personal decision that you make after having a clear understanding of the gospel. you come to the decision of becoming a Christian and that the church, the membership of the church should be ideally of regenerate people having made that decision, not the whole population of the country because you happen to be born in in England and and you are under the Church of England and therefore you are a Christian. So because of that, because of this idea, because of this uh, uh, doctrine of the church, many times they were accused used of teaching the idea of uh, conver- conversionalism, meaning that it is necessary to go through a crisis experience to be a Christian. So they were being accused of that. You, by the Church of England, you, a Baptist, and you, Congregationalist, you are teaching that if you don't go through this drastic experience of conversion, you are not a Christian. And they wrote this chapter saying, pretty much saying, no, that's not what we believe. Uh, We're going to go through that. So the confession here is responding to that accusation by pointing out that this type of conversion is not necessarily the case for all the elect, but for those who come to the faith in riper years, later. Yes, they go through this experience of conversion that we may call it a crisis conversion, we may call it another name, but they say when they come to faith after having lived for some time in a state of corruption and sin, they go through this drastic conversion. 
And they say, such of the elect as are converted at riper years, having sometime lived in the state of nature, and therein served diverse lusts and pleasures, God in their effectual calling gives them repentance unto life. So they are defending themselves from that accusation, saying, oh, you guys are teaching that only those who go through that, through that experience of conversion are saved. What about those who grow up in Christian homes? Hearing the gospel all their lives. And they say, no, 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 no. We believe that those who come to faith later in life, they usually go through that kind of uh, conversion, that crisis conversion. <clears throat> then in paragraph two, they address the case of those who come to faith earlier in life. So in other words... <clears throat> Our Baptist uh, forefathers had uh, several practical concerns in mind when they wrote this, this chapter. And they make this distinction mainly because they wanted or they wanted to make sure that no one would accuse them of believing that all Christians necessarily must have this kind of conversion, kind of like the Apostle Paul or, or the Philippian jailer. Not everybody must have that kind of kind of conversion. It is as though they were saying, "Well, yes, we insist on the uh, emphatically on the on personal conversion, and we but we understand that the experience of a child raised in a Christian home may be quite different from one who is converted without the benefit of that uh, uh, Christian education, and this is very important." Because they are saying, do not doubt your salvation simply because you never went through such an experience as maybe the Apostle Paul or the Philippian jailer or Zacchaeus in, a, in, in the Gospel according to Luke. At the same time, they are saying to those who did go through such an experience, do not demand from others, do not expect from others to have such kind of experience because... It's not really necessary. So when we go to the scriptures, we find out that uh, the scriptures present repentance and conversion as similar graces. Two graces that go hand in hand, almost synonymous one to the other. And uh, we read, for example, in Acts chapter 3, verses 3, uh, verse 19, it says that repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So here, you know, Peter is saying, repent and be converted. Converted. Those things go together. They go hand in hand. However, at least the way I see it is that conversion is more of a an experience, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Something that happens once in your life that is never to be repeated again, while repentance is a constant thing in the life of the believer, all the time repenting. <clears throat> we also find in the scriptures that conversion is 
described as going from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. From the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, in Acts chapter 26 verse 18, it says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Then in Ephesians or Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 it says the Apostle Paul here writing for you were sometimes darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light. Then of course Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 it says giving thanks to the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us or transported us into the kingdom of his dear son. So for certain believers, the transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light takes place in a punctual form. And when I say punctual, I mean at a certain point in time that many can remember and they even write it down. You know, in a, in a notebook and say, well, on such date, I became a Christian. They went through that experience where they can actually point the finger to and say, on, on, on you know, February uh, 15th, 1986, I became a Christian. And I remember exactly where I was. And I remember the words that I was listening to. I was at church and this happened and that happened. And I felt this, you know, sorrow in my heart. They go through this crisis conversion. Many times that conversion is accompanied by a dramatic experience. And of course, the typical example is the Apostle Paul, who was uh, part of his life, was the greatest enemy of the Church of Jesus Christ. And then on his way to Damascus, um, you know, he, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and he uh, fell to the ground and he had this dramatic experience. It seemed like a kind of cold here. I see people, I see people like that. <laughs> then also I remember, uh, you know, when I was very young in the faith, I watched this movie, uh, the, uh, the Cross and the Switchblade, with Pat Boone and Eric Estrada, where it was about this, this young man, I think he was just a, only a teenager, uh, Nicky Cruz, when he became the, uh, a member of the uh, street gang, the Mau Maus or something like that in, in New York. And, and in only six months, he became the leader of this, this gang. And he was very, very violent. And he uh, used to, you know, beat people up and kill people and do a lot of things. And then one day he uh, uh, met... Uh, David Wilkerson, and he, he became a Christian. He listened to the, uh, the preaching of this guy, and he became a Christian, and he became an, an evangelist and all that. So he went through this drastic experience of conversion in his life. And the Apostle Paul knew that a lot of people go through that. 
And he writes in Titus chapter 3 verses 3 to 5, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the, that the kindness and love of our God Jesus Christ, our Savior to our man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So, a lot of people go through that experience when they become Christians. However, that doesn't mean that all the elect must necessarily pass through such a conversion experience. There are others that are exposed to the gospel since their childhood. And, and, and because they live in a Christian home, and their conversion is a gradual thing. They cannot tell you, on such day I became a Christian. You ask them, do you remember when did you become a Christian? And they say, I don't remember. All my life I have, you know, heard the gospel. All my life I have, you know, I've been going to church. All my life I have read the Bible. I cannot tell you exactly when I became a Christian. They cannot point to a specific date and say that because they have been instructed in the ways of the Lord their whole lives. Well, uh, they don't have to depart from the ways of grace. They don't have to backslide and live in sin for some time to have this drastic conversion. It's not necessary. It is possible for some to live their whole lives close to the Lord without backsliding and, and, and without going through that kind of experience. Now, that doesn't mean that it is possible to be born as a regenerate person, as a Christian. Or that it is possible to enter the kingdom of heaven without repentance. The Lord Jesus preached re repentance to everybody. That's how he started his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, preaching repentance. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, this is what the second paragraph is about. It's about those who come to faith like that, in that gradual manner that... From an early age, they are exposed to the gospel. And they say, whereas, this is paragraph 2, there is none that doth good and sinneth not, and the best of men may through the power and deceitfulness of their corruption, corruption dwelling in them, with the prevalency of temptation, fall into great sins and provocation. God has in the covenant of grace mercifully provided that believers so sinning and falling be renewed through repentance unto salvation. So there's an obvious contrast here. They start by saying, whereas, while on the contrary, in contrast to what was said before, this. So the first paragraph was about what? About those who come to the Lord later in life. So in contrast to that, now let's deal with those who come to the Lord earlier in life. There are those who come to the Lord like that. And the best, maybe the best biblical example is Timothy in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, the, uh, not the apostle, the uh, prophet Samuel. So Timothy 
We cannot say that he grew up in a Christian home. I don't think there's anybody in the New Testament who actually grew up in a Christian home. But Timothy is presented as somebody who lived a godly life since his childhood. And we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, the Apostle Paul writing to him, he says, But continue you in the things which you have learned and have been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are, which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Then in 2 Timothy 1.15, he says, when I, call you to, uh, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in you also. So this young man lived his whole life a God, in a godly way, having been instructed by his mother, having been instructed by his grandmother in the ways of the Lord. Of course, his grandmother and his mother they were Jewish, but they believed in the Messiah to come. They believed, they did not know that the Messiah was coming in the flesh. They did not know that the Messiah was Jesus Christ, but they believed in the promise. And based on that promise, they taught this young man to be a godly man. Also, we can mention the, uh, the, uh, the Old Testament example of the prophet Samuel, who grew up his whole life in the temple. And if on testimony in light, all he can say about his life was, well, I grew up in the temple, and I always knew the Lord, and the Lord one day called me, and that's it. You know, I was, I was not a drug addict, I was not an alcoholic, I was not out there beating people up, but that's my life, that's my, my testimony. So what the, does the confession say about those cases? They say, well, they are also sinners in need of repentance. The fact that they grew up like that doesn't mean that they don't need repentance. Everybody needs repentance. And they say, there is known that doth good and sinneth not. Right? A paraphrase from Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 20. For there is not a just man on earth that does good and sins not. Also in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. So even if you grew up in a Christian home, going to church your whole life, and you have never lived a life of debauchery, uh, uh, or to use the words of the confession, they say they have never lived in the state of nature and they served diverse lusts and pleasures. If that's your case, if the words of Peter in, in 1 Peter 4, chapter 3, you, you, you read them and they don't apply to you. Let me read what that says. It says, Peter, 1 Peter 4.3 For the time past of our life may suffice us to have worked the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, in lusts, in excess of wine, revelings, parties, and abominable idolatry. If you can read that and you say, well, that was never my case. That's, that was not my life in the past. I have always been in, in the church context. You are still a sinner and at some point in your life, you have to repent if you are a true Christian. Because everybody, they say, everybody is a sinner. 
Everybody has the same corruption in his nature. Everybody. There is no exception to that. You must have repented because nobody can enter the kingdom of heaven without repenting. And they say God has in the covenant of grace mercifully provided that believers so sinning. See, he's talking about believers who all their lives have been in the context of church. Believers so sinning and falling be renewed through repentance unto salvation. So the point is, everybody needs repentance. Everybody who is a Christian now, everybody who has passed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, whether you went through this drastic conversion that you can stand in front of a church and give your testimony and everybody's like, like that, or not... It doesn't matter. You have to repent. You went through that process of repentance. Repentance is for everybody. So the practical application then, number one, for those who went through that crisis experience of conversion. What is the practical application? Well, at least one of the practical, practical applications is use the example of your life to remind yourself that no case is too difficult to the Lord. If you can look back at your previous life and you can say, boy, I was such a sinner. I was an evil and corrupt and callous man and I did this and I did that. But the Lord was merciful and gracious to me and he saved me. Well, if you can say that, use your experience as a reminder that no case is too difficult for the Lord. And use it as an encouragement to continue praying for the lost, to continue preaching the gospel. Continue praying for those who harden their hearts. God may have mercy of them the same way he had mercy of you. Use it as an encouragement to continue preaching the gospel. Then for the Timothys of life, for those who who grew up in a Christian home and have never really gone out into gross sin, into uh, the world, our lesson this morning is a call of humility and a, a humble spirit. Because it doesn't mean that you are better than others. It means that God, or the grace of God, worked in your life in a different way. That's all it means. But you are also a recipient of His grace. You were also a sinner who needed to repent. And we know that we are true Christians, not on the basis of an experience that we have lived in our lives, but on the basis of whether we are constantly being led to repentance or not. Because everybody has to repent continually throughout his life. A true Christian is in a constant state of repentance because we all continue to sin. And we are Christians by the grace of God. And we are going to continue and we are going to persevere as Christians by the grace of God. And we need repentance every day. And in the book of Lamentations, it says that the mercies of God are new every morning. Do you know why they are new every morning? Because we need a new mercy every morning. Because we are sinners all the time. We continue sinning. And we need to repent. And we need God's mercy. It doesn't matter what your experience in the past was. How you came to the Lord. Whether you have a a very impressive testimony or not. Everybody has to repent at some time in life. To become a Christian. And that's basically uh, what they are saying here. And the teaching of the scriptures. Amen?
Okay, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before your holy presence one more time, Lord, and we thank you that at some point in our lives you uh, called us to, to follow you and uh, by your grace we obeyed. So we are very thankful for that, Lord. You are very gracious and merciful to us. And uh, we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.